I always forget that uh, Marvin spent much of his life in Lexington. And his father was the leader of uh, something of a cult here. What kind of cult? Like, what kind of cult are we talking? It was a church, but had some little cult overtones, it felt like, reading about it. His dad, Marvin Sr., is from Lexington. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Lexington not known for producing great fathers. <laughs> or great cults. Not a lot of good cults have come out of Lexington. Too few, honestly. But had great potential in the 80s with all that uh, Al-Fayed stuff, Khashoggi stuff, CIA stuff. Yeah. Just really kind of didn't really live up to its potential. Had great potential to be a a seedy, weird place. It's a little too buttoned up for it now. Yeah. Yeah. Man, these fucking goddamn assholes. Down. <laughs> it's just like tinnitus to you, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. It like they. I'm fine. I can't even hear it. Do you think it'll pick up in your mic? Probably not. It's like, probably not. I can barely hear it. Like, they're just doing the classic, like, um, lazy workday thing where, like, they hammer for literally five minutes and then talk for half an hour and then hammer for five more minutes and then talk for another half hour. Classic job site uh, pattern. Yeah. This is the basis of jokes like... What we got? What what is this here, boys? A union meeting, and see also, yeah, I could tell it's a state job. We got five standing around, two working. <laughs> like at this rate, East Kentucky will be back to the extremely impoverished, dilapidated state it was at three months ago in about I don't know twenty years. Uh, you're being you're being a little generous with your timeline there, but yeah. Am I being am I being a, a I don't want to be a naysayer. I think that we've got potential, but absent leadership, man, you just don't really stand a chance right now. I mean, it's like I was thinking about this. I mean, my sister and I were talking earlier. We we're talking about just the healthcare system and dealing with all this shit since mom died and everything. And it's like it's like just going back and looking at like every step of that process, every step of the way were concerns over what was going on, having to constantly advocate. And like, I mean, that's not just healthcare. That's everything in fucking in the world. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It'll be a matter of time before. Um... Well, you know, like how in school, they make you take standardized tests. And I guess the goal is ostensibly to make you like a better worker or to make you more easily sorted into various worker categories in the future. Yeah. They, they kind of measure your aptitude to see where that you could be best exploited. Yeah. But jokes on them. I didn't really test well on any, on anything. <laughs> the, the time and effort would be much better spent though, teaching, kids how to be better advocates for themselves in in the healthcare world uh in like don't 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 like 
fill them with this sort of Pollyannish view of how the world is. Like, you know, people are more like, no, this world will roll you unless you stand up for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, right. But you got to like teach the like the minute ins and outs. Like, you know, you never never say anything that can even remotely be construed as insulting a doctor's intelligence. Yeah. Like yeah, you have to game it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Be confident and assertive, but don't ever make the most fragile people on earth think that you're insulting their hard earned uh, intelligence and uh, licensure expertise. The way you have to approach that, and this is a great skill. If I could teach in part to my children that don't yet exist and may never, <laughs> one skill, it would be this. Learn how to make somebody else feel like it was their idea. <laughs> Invaluable. That is, the, that is the best. Honestly, that is one of the best skills to have in today's day and age. Where everybody with extremely hubristic people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like with social media, the way it is with. uh, I mean, you've got like TikToks, TikTok accounts of like nurses doing the moonwalk next to like someone like (laughs) with stage four kids in Uh, a coma. (laughs) Can you imagine that? The last thing you see on this planet is I I saw Jake Rhodes say this one day on a tweet is fucking hilarious but he was like uh uh this talk about these nurses that post shit on tiktok and they like get in their like drop top jeeps and open mouth kiss a pitbull mix (laughs) (laughs) yeah imagine that your last thing you see on this planet is uh uh like a uh sort of um how would you say it? Like I understand wanting to do the moonwalk because, like, they got those like booty things, you know, like those foot cover yeah, things yeah, 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 yeah. that make perfect your feet... moon, perfect moonwalking. Yeah, I understand. I like. I understand the impulse to want to dance on someone's not grave, but like their pre-grave, like, yeah. like literally a whole TikTok genre of people dancing on deathbeds. <laughs> Like, ma'am or sir, unless you can produce the real Michael Jackson to do that moonwalk, get the fuck out of here, okay? Yeah. He ain't walking through that door anymore, and, and, and maybe that's a good thing. And these, But these are the people tasked with, you know, taking it. Like, I saw a video. I saw a video, and I don't care how this is yeah, construed. I don't care. Uh, but I saw, like, a video of, like, an elderly home like I saw a video of these like two nurses in an elderly home just like picking up like an 87 year old man and just like basically like, you know, he ho like throwing him into a bed because he like was complaining about having like stomach pain or something like that. It's just like, shut the fuck up, old man. <laughs> it's like hey, that was whole... meant to be like endearing. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was like. It was meant. It was uh, to teach him a lesson. <laughs> it was meant to teach him a lesson. Like I, I'm not trying to slander healthcare workers. No, listen. I no, Just, listen. There's a ton of great nurses out there. During my mom's illness, we had a ton of great nurses. But 
when they were bad, God fucking damn it, they were bad. And that could be a, a number of factors too, being overworked or anything else. I don't want to name that up front. But well, I think the whole system has basically it's made into a factory. It's made the hospital into a factory so that like the product of your work it, it is made in the same way that like most people at work just want to hammer five nails and then spend 30 minutes to an hour talking about the, I don't know what people talk about on the job site, the bold and the beautiful. They talk about soap operas. <laughs> like, you know what? I'll be honest with you. Soap operas come up a little more often in, in my experience, a little more often than you would think. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's transferred that basic desire to like to the one industry where you just can't do that. And that's not the fault of the workers in that industry. Like there's no, it's, it's like in the classic Marxist sense, there's nothing morally good or morally bad about the workers themselves. Like they can be bad people. Like you can have a hospital filled with 100 evil nurses and that doesn't change the fact that they're still, their labor is still exploited. Practicing Satanists. Libertarian, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like actually doing rituals on children. It, it still yeah. it, it applies. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a systemic relation. It's it's uh, you know, like their labor is still exploited. Right, um, right. But it's a little different when you talk about doctors because doctors that are like the skilled in the sort of like hierarchy of those segmented workplaces. That those doctors are the skilled. Uh. Like they're the ones who they're not the bosses necessarily, nor are they management necessarily. Although some doctors will take on roles of like, you know, medical director or whatever. Have you ever watched the movie Coma? Uh-uh. Michael Crichton. Crack- no. They say his name. Directed. The Jurassic Park guy. Yeah, we should do an episode on Coma. Okay. <laughs> What's it about? It's like Jacob's Ladder. Well, no, I mean, there's a lot of themes that are a little, a bit on the nose, I guess you would say, that it's basically, you know, um, uh, this woman has an abortion. It's all about abortion and like women's issues and stuff like that. It's a hospital drama. I guess Michael Crichton was a, uh, was a medical doctor. I didn't know that. I just knew him from Jurassic Park. Did he write Jurassic Park? He did. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the the films he wrote the screenplay for and directed. So, but did he write the book Coma? I think you. Just, I don't know if it's a book. I think he's wrote the screenplay, or it might have been a book he wrote, and then the screenplay was derivative of it. I can't remember. I I love it when people ask for book recommendations, like on Twitter or whatever. Like, listen up, y'all! I need some book recs, and it's like, why would I give you? This sacred knowledge, like what, like I have every incentive <laughs> to give you bad book. Like I'm not gonna give you knowledge that'll help you get ahead in life. Fuck no. Like no. I'm gonna give you recommendations that will widen the gap between me and you. <laughs> <laughs> Just like yo, I got some book right, Rex. It's like mind comp, the bell curve. Never uh, checked so out the Fountainhead. The Fountainhead. And then they're like, oh, wow, this sounds good. And then they read it. And then they're out with some friends 
And they're like, I read this amazing book that this guy on Twitter recommended to me called Mein Kampf. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's a guy that's that's that dumb that doesn't know about Mein Kampf yet? I have to assume that if you're soliciting book recs on Twitter, you're that dumb. If you're soliciting book recommendations on Twitter, you are dumb enough to not know. <laughs> I got my, about my here's a here's an idea. Go to a fucking library. Go to the library. Open a book. Read the first sentence. If you like it, read the second sentence. And if you like that, keep, reading. keep going. <laughs> if you don't, at the pioneer way. Uh huh. I, do you hear it now? Do you hear the hammering now? Mm -mm. I kind of like the. Uh, it kind of adds a good ambiance. The next ten weeks of Trillbilly's episodes might be construction work <laughs> in the background. <laughs> it's like we're past the we're past the phase of tearing down. Like, I think that the phase of like gutting and tearing out ended in early September and now we're in the rebuilding phase. So it's kind of like uh, it's it's spring for us. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sort of like an Arab spring. <laughs> East Kentucky should have an Arab spring. Like how how would we even do it? I I rack my mind thinking about this every goddamn day. Well, I'll tell you how. Okay. I'll tell you how. We make a Facebook event for protest at Tahrir Square. And then we set up a fake Tahrir Square in the middle of Whitesburg. And we have a general... What was that guy's name? Like Al-Sisi or something like that? Oh, uh, yeah, the guy that's Muslim Brotherhood, dude. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, we need a Muslim Brotherhood in East Kentucky. East Kentucky needs a Muslim Brotherhood. We need... It's like the... You know, Nancy Pelosi said we need a strong GOP. America, yeah. What Letcher County politics <laughs> needs is a strong Muslim Brotherhood. <laughs> One thousand. I mean, you say what you want about it. It would give it would give things a shot in the arm. It wouldn't be that much different. I mean, in terms of yeah, really, it wouldn't be able to swap out faiths. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't be same. able to get anything done. They'd be just as corrupt. But it would be probably more assassinations. Remember when the Muslim Brotherhood popped uh and were also that didn't they was that muslim brotherhood did that i think it i think they were responsible for that yeah interesting blah blah he's like oh oh they got me i used to read a lot of jimmy carter books when i was dumb uh -huh. I was a dumb guy it's just i'm still in that era but i'm i'm on the the thinner end of it now you're on the you're exiting the dumb era All right and uh, I'm Jimmy Carter would always talk about his friends Yitzhak Rabin and Anwar Sadat, and uh -huh. you know uh, Shimon Perez. Yeah, every, all the characters, all the, the characters, right? And half half of those guys, I think, were assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, everybody I named basically got Yitzhak Rabin, Sadat. Yeah. Uh, so, and he was just talking about lamenting that. Uh, he felt like if he would have done a few things different, like he could have engineered peace over there. Uh-huh. And so it's really all on Jimmy Carter. Right. Really, the whole situation in the Middle East, you can chalk back up to one man, and that's James Carter. Well. Plains, Georgia. 
the, you know, he's got his home building stuff and I've not seen him. So what the fuck, Jimmy? You should be in East Kentucky rebuilding homes, but you're yeah, not. Re- yeah, really. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, get your ass, get your 95 year old ass <laughs> down here. Motherfucker looks like Kano right now. He's got like a those bloody eyes old people get and like a big bruise around him. He's probably on his way. He's probably been on his way for two and a half months. He's just making it slow. <laughs> He's driving two miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's President Carter. Just let him go. <laughs> He'll show up in mid-November. We'll give him a hammer. I really here's what I I would like to do. I would like to supervise Jimmy Carter on a job site. I would too. <laughs> I would like much is written about this man's construction ability. I would I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> I really do. I just want to see how I just want to see what he's made of. I just want to see this motherfucker hang drywall. I wouldn't yeah, no, uh same. I, well, first of all, I want to see his skills, but second, I want to hear his his workplace banter like does jimmy carter have some good dirty stories some good dirty jokes to tell at the work he's a sunday school teacher but I, he's probably one of those guys that likes to slide one every once in a while then just oh no i'm joking i don't <laughs> you know <laughs> like walter every, every man listen if you're listening out there and you think your father's a paragon of morality at some point he's made a lewd joke about a woman's sexual reputation. Uh-huh. Just to fit in. That's the Just sad thing. Just to fit thing. in with the Just guy. To... It's something. Yeah, I hate to, did... to break, burst, burst your bubble, but your father at some point has been a misogynist. D- didn't even have the misogynist conviction. Like, actually, probably literally respects women. Yeah, actually, like... 100% respects women. <laughs> Just to uh, fit. Doesn't want the other guys to think that, <laughs> to know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's part called of being a man. Part of rural southern manhood is is constantly being on skates with misogynistic and racist jokes. Because they just come at you like goddamn turtles in Mario Kart. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, and for yeah. as much as everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, it's no more racist than anywhere else. Okay, sure. But I don't know if my Iowa friends are constantly barraged with... <laughs> With with racist misogynistic jokes in the same way. I don't know, man. Uh, one of the most racist dudes I ever met. Like when I went to high school, I never, I never hung out. I'm sure they existed, but I never hung out with anybody who used the N word like full throttle. But I met a dude in college from Kansas who did, and I was like, "What the fuck?" So So you think the Midwest is probably. Well, yeah, you're right. They probably got things a little bit later than we did. Those like farming... we were down here making culture. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Those like farming communities in like Oklahoma and shit. Like that is where the next prime came. racist country. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I'm it's just the weirdest thing. Generalizing man. broad swaths, by the way, which I love to do. I love to just generalize regions. <laughs> I do, Tess. I like to make sweeping generalizations about people in regions. Insane. I was I was working at, at the water department one time fixing a leak. Went out to this guy's house. And you know the guys that just open with the racism? Yeah. I mean, we're just two white men. I'm I was sitting here, I'm digging a hole in his yard trying to find his leak. And he comes out there and he's like, uh, 
what was his joke? It was something about the elections, Obama Romney. <laughs> it was something about I forget what it was called, what it was now. But he opened with that. And oh, I you just, remember? You just don't want to. Oh say no, it. I do That's remember, right. but I just don't want to give it any air. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll never forget it. But I'm out there digging, and this guy comes out there and he opens with that, and I just, you, you, I do the thing that every well-meaning white Southerner does: is you just look at it as steely-faced as you can, and just don't, and just change the subject very quickly. <laughs> You know that you know that tactic, don't you? Oh yes, oh yes. I I all those late nights spent on Wikipedia come in handy in those moments. Like, oh, did you know the American North American beaver can retain <laughs> up to twenty three pounds? You know, I was getting to the bottom of the Boxer Rebellion the other night. And, <laughs> um, you've got to check. You have to turn a hard left once those once that starts coming yeah out. it is yeah, you have to well it's the only way to do it without like you don't want to be self-righteous but like you also don't want to give it any air and then here's the other thing is so after he tells me this joke his grandson runs out of the house and he says papa papa and this kid's got i mean this kid's he's like grandson's black and i'm like <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just like what? What? <laughs> you know, that was it was just weird. I don't know. Well, it's that's just... the thing. It, it's no different, really, than like 150 years ago. It is the same old like patriarchal racism. It's like I I don't know. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's like they they think they know better, therefore yeah. they. That's like the I think like that's the core, the essence of like white supremacy. It's like they know what's best for yeah it's paternalistic yeah it's all, yeah. yeah 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 but his grandson ran out there his black grandson ran out there and he put him on his lap and he says this is the boss around here and i was just like <laughs> that is literally dude, five minutes ago that is <laughs> the essence of southern racism the paternalistic aspect it's like cohabitation but it has to be a clear hierarchy whereas like in the north, it was way more of an apartheid. Like, we'll segregate them out entirely. Like, put them in entire different neighborhoods different and class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the geography, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just two two sides of the very same evil. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but uh, oh yeah, we were trying to figure out how to make a Tahrir Square in Whitesburg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's what we do. How about we just relocate the Veterans Museum? Yeah. Okay. Put okay. them somewhere else. Yeah. Clean out all of their war trophies and artifacts. Mm-hmm. And then hang the flags of Syria and Lebanon and Qatar. Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the most problematic nations. And then we'll just call it, we just renamed the Veterans Memorial Parking Lot <laughs> Tahrir Square. <laughs> And then we stage a protest there with tw- 10 million people. And then we're going to have an Arab Spring in East Kentucky. <laughs> that would be so tight there. And then the green horse of the apocalypse will ride through there too. <laughs> just, just like what happened that day in Tahrir Square. Just like what happened that day, that fateful and, day. And much like that, it will the revolution will happen on Facebook.com probably. Uh-huh. If I were guessing. 
Yeah. Do you think you could fit a million people in downtown Winesburg? One thousand percent, no. <laughs> like, not even a question. You'd probably top out at a hundred thousand and call it a million, though. Oh man, I think I'm thinking even less than that. I think like you asshole probably... to elbow all the way up Main Street, curling around some of the back roads down there, the Veterans Museum. They'd have to be up in the hills too, like oh, covering the hills like trees. Like if you cut all the trees down and then covered them with people, then maybe yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That would be a beautiful painting. That's that 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 someone should do that painting. Someone should do a painting where the the hills are not covered in trees. They're covered in the beautiful, diverse, multicultural uh spectrum of human experience. That'd be a beautiful painting. Would would you buy that? Would you hang that but painting? It would just be mostly white. And <laughs> <laughs> dead two dumbasses pretending to be Muslim Brotherhood, i.e. me and you. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's a commentary. It's commentary on how these hills they uh they hold wonders and potential. Yeah. They hold uh potential for for, for beauty. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, speaking of racism, what did you think about the Kanye White Lives Matter thing? <laughs> the the thing I the, okay, <clears throat> the thing I finally realized about Kanye, and I don't know why I didn't see it before. <laughs> You're seeing through rose colored glasses. That's right. I I was unable to see it before, but it's kind of the same thing with us, circa 2017. <clears throat> Well, I think this is the case for most people, but um, it's like he bases his entire like ideology and worldview off of a specific scene. And that scene is the fashion world, like yeah. high fashion. And like to him, that statement, why lives matter is like the most subversive, edgy statement you can make in that scene. Sort of how like in early Trillbillies, like the most subversive, edgy statement you could make was like fucking nonprofits or something like that. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. it's all based on a confined, contained social <laughs> world. Silas has like I brought the you know like yeah like a niche. I don't world. really care honestly. <laughs> right, it's like a niche contained world that only makes sense to a certain selection subset of individuals. Right, and everybody else kind of views it as like. um Kind of like the spectacle, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's, and I, I think that is really, that is his entire thing. That does not excuse him for wearing a shirt that says Why Lies Matter. It's like, ooh, ooh, especially with Candace Owens. Oh, man. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole shit is, it's just, it, I mean, I guess you could probably sum it up as edgelord shit. It's edgelord shit. I mean, that's literally, I mean, he's always been an edgelord. Uh, Provocateur, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the statement that he released with it was like, Black Lives Matter is over. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, it was always a grift or something like that. It was a scam, I think is what he said. Yeah. And like, he's not wrong about 
organizationally speaking, not yeah, organizationally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Like the people that ran that organization, like bought mansions and yachts. and. Shit. Well, I wouldn't say it was a scam. I mean, like a lot of the OG Black Lives Matter people like were murdered under mysterious circumstances and shit like mean, that. Yeah. But like as it stands today, I think he is correct in that assessment, but not for the reason that he thinks he is. He's just he's just a provocateur. You're right. What I want to talk about is cheating. I want to talk about cheating some more. Let's talk about cheating. Okay. I dude, cultural history because like um, you know, like time moves at such a and news moves at such a fast clip, things get compressed, yeah, and so that in the future cultural historians are going to think that Adam Levine cheating was somehow tied to like the fishermen who put weights in walleyes. Yeah. Like they'll have to be able, they'll have to try to tease that out. Like what I'm saying is that within the matter, within the course of two weeks, there have been multiple cheating scandals in every broad sense of that, in every broad definition of that term. <laughs> from the familial, from marriage to baseball. <laughs> and it made me think, it made me wonder, like, what is the origin of using the word cheating in the context of, like, a, a relationship? Like, it almost seems to imply that, like, you're, you're cutting a corner or you're getting something that no one else gets it, like I don't know. Does that make sense? Like cheating in the like you get like you're getting an undue advantage. Yeah, yeah. Like no, no. Just be just be slightly miserable with one partner, like the rest of us. You don't get. <laughs> you're not special, buddy. <laughs> it see it has this context. It seems to imply that everybody else in a relationship is miserable. Right, right, right. That's but, what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> but they're doing it. They're following the rules. And if you cheat. <laughs> If you cheat, you you're you're not following the rules and you're getting, you know, you're getting to reap the rewards of not following, of following the rules. And we don't like that. <laughs> this might be the etymology of the phrase player hating. Exactly. I looked it up like the origin of the term cheating in reference to relationships only goes back to like the 1930s or 40s. It's a 20th century thing. Like it has to be like in the context of like the heteronormative nuclear capitalist family. <laughs> All right. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it has its origins in trying to oppress you and keep you in the familial unit. Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't that what Adam who, who was it that said that their marriage was toxic and oppressive? Was it John Mulaney? <laughs> some of us, one of those guys is like, God damn it. I mean, I, I guess that has to be the it's just it just feels like it's just very funny that there's so many different cheating scandals right now. All at once. Yeah. <clears throat> All at once. Yeah. So uh, much so. Uh, well, so much so it's it's sort of relitigating like the baseball steroid era because you see where Aaron Judge broke Roger Maris's home run mark last night, and now it's like, I, here's here's my maxim, okay? And listen, I feel like I'm uniquely attuned to the underbelly of things just by my disposition. Uh huh. But I'm not saying 
anything. But all I'm saying is don't be surprised when you see that Aaron Judge was microdosing TRT uh, here on ESPN 30 for 30 in like 10 or 15 years. And the disgraced golden boy of baseball. Because guess what? If Alex Rodriguez was doing it. All these guys are probably doing it. And guess what? We either need to quit moralizing about it or and accept it and just what it is. If you're not taking perform PEDs, you're not uh-huh. trying hard enough. Or you like baseball just needs to just be kind of stuck in you know an era where like guys hit 13 home runs and they were the big sluggers of their time. Yeah, I literally think it's a moral failing if you don't cheat. <laughs> I do too. I think Barry Bonds really is the people's slugger. Yeah. This guy's on the downslope of his career. Yeah. He's already the most gifted baseball player, maybe of his era, probably definitely the most gifted hitter of his era. And he's like, you know what? Somebody on Twitter pointed this out. They're like, he'll just become a superhero and hit 72 home runs, 73 home runs for our entertainment. It's entertainment. Like the moment that they stopped broadcasting baseball games on the radio, like, it's going high over left field. He's rounding second. He's rounding third. The, the moment it became video and like there was a thousand commercials between every break and whatever, it's entertainment. Well, I think that's that's really lost on a lot of people, too. And also the idea that the further you stray from entertainment in sports, the more boring it gets. <laughs> exactly. I'm serious. It does. Like even like, I mean. People talk about like, oh, well, like during Jordan's era, it was so much better and it was all this, it was that. And it's like, it's not that it was so much better, that the players are so much gifted or anything. I'm not even interested in who's better, Jordan or LeBron argument. Like, there's just no comparison. Watching Michael Jordan aesthetically is way more entertaining than watching LeBron James aesthetically, even though LeBron is probably the better basketball player. I would say he is the better basketball player. But... There was a sense of showmanship that's been lost, I feel. <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, is like that, uh, you know, I, I again, I, I think it's uh, a moral failing if you don't cheat. Like I in relate in in relation to sports anyways, obviously, this prod this podcast is strictly pro monogamy. We do not endorse stepping out in any way. <laughs> that's a be- that's a much better term for cheating. Stepping, Stepping out. out. <laughs> That's right. Like you, it just is a testament to how miserable people in relationships were in like the mid 20th century that they called it cheating. They were like, what's the word yeah. for when someone <laughs> cuts corners and gets to reap the rewards <laughs> and the rest <laughs> of us are still miserable? Like, I guess you could really draw a straight line between the concept of cheating in relationships to wife bad humor. Right. Yeah. yeah, like every sitcom of the 1950s was like, you know, you called your mother-in-law a battle axe and your wife the old ball and chain and so forth. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, did you see that the, what was it? Chess investigation finds that U.S. Grandmaster likely cheated more than 100 times. Is this you the know, butt plug dude? This is the butt plug guy. And And, you know, my line on this is that I don't hear anybody, you know, calling for the cops to be called on him like they were for those fishermen. So what's that's true. How are we going to how are we going to like 
are all sports cheaters and like like are we all going to see their day like are they going to see their day in court like what's going on we got to keep it consistent Mm -hmm. you got to grab your knife and remove all those weights if you want to go to fish (laughs) (laughs) you know loretta led passed yesterday and loretta led had she had a lot of things to say about cheating particularly cheating men but she also had listen she also had some infidelities of her own another man loved me last night from yep. the miner's daughter album she had loretta love fucking that's that is true i saw yeah. a tweet that was like <clears throat> if you don't know listen to this song you have to listen to this song it's called the pill by loretta Lee. it's like everybody's heard that fucking song everybody <laughs> knows the pill everybody knows yeah come on I just love virtue signaling. I love it. It's my favorite. I love it. Twitter's the perfect platform for it. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It is so funny. It's like, yeah, everybody had to get a piece of Loretta yesterday, you know? Dude, there was a, there was like this thing going around, like this viral story going around, like a feel good viral story about. Harry Stewart Jr. Did you read this? Did you see this going around? It was like I I retweeted it, but then I clicked on the link like after the fact. I, I retweeted just because <laughs> Bill Turner tweeted it. So I was like, okay, Bill Turner tweeted it. It's got to have something. And I clicked on it. There was no story to it. I'll read you the story if you want. It was kind of going around like in such a way. It was kind of like the it was like the retconning celebs thing where it's like, look, Loretta's Loretta's family, they weren't racist. They took in a Tuskegee Air. <laughs> like like it's an interesting story though you have to admit no like it was racist because they literally thought that he wound up there the way that he wound up there they didn't know about the Tuskegee airman they thought that he stole an airplane that this black guy (laughs) stole an airplane and crashed it in east kentucky Just a thing that was happening. That's what racism will do to your brain. Instead of thinking, (laughs) maybe this man's a qualified pilot. Their first thought was, no, this man definitely stole an airplane. Right. Yeah. Like a A very dangerous theft. (laughs) A thing that happened constantly in the 1940s, like black men stealing airplanes. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Let me read you the story. 1948 Butcher Hollow P-47 Thunderbolt crash. On March 25th, 1948, Stewart took part in a simulated armed reconnaissance with a formation of Tuskegee Airmen combat fighter pilots flying flying from Greenville, South Carolina's Shaw Air Force Base to their home base in Columbus, Ohio. Suddenly, Stewart's P-47 Thunderbolt began to experience severe engine failure, sputtering at 20,000 feet above the mountainous terrain of eastern Kentucky during a bad thunderstorm. Fearful of crashing his aircraft into the side of a mountain to his death, Stewart reduced his aircraft's altitude to 10,000 feet, bailing out of the plane. Since the P-47 lacked an ejection seat, Stewart slid its canopy back, removed his seatbelt, and directed the P-47's nose forward so that it would dip and safely eject Stewart forward when he released the control stick. Damn! That's fucking crazy. That's how good of a pilot he was, dude. He just was able to just nudge the plane forward and basically just tip him out like he was pouring a cup of tea. Harry Stewart was a badass pilot, dude. Like Han Solo doesn't have shit on Harry Stewart. That's um, amazing. 
However, the slipstream struck Stewart, forcefully propelling him to the aircraft's tail. Holy shit, dude. He was like hanging off the back of this fucking plane, fracturing his left leg in two between the calf and ankle. He was like hanging off the back of a. He got caught in the slipstream and was like, what the fuck? Yeah. After opening his parachute in the clouds, Stewart coasted to ground, landing on top of a dead pine tree. With Stewart's parachute firmly hooked over the treetop, his body dangled two feet above the ground through the tree's dead branches. Possibly going into shock, Stewart noticed that he had lost a shoe on his broken, bleeding left leg. His otherwise white sock was now completely blood-soaked. Stewart cut himself down in the pouring rain, crawled under a rock overhang, and removed his white silk flying scarf, making a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. Dude, this is fucking crazy. Dude, that's insane. Unbeknownst to him, Stewart had parachuted into the mountainous forest hills of Butcher Hollow, Kentucky, a coal mining community in Johnson County, Kentucky, and childhood home of married 15-year-old Loretta Webb, best known as 18-time Grammy Award-nominated country music Loretta Lynn. Though Loretta's location at the time of the crash is undocumented, Loretta's younger brother, Herman Webb, was riding in the pickup truck bed belonging to Loretta and Herman's father, Melvin Theodore Ted Webb. So she would not, at this point, she would not have been. When did Loretta really ascend? Like in the 50s? Yeah. 60s. So, yeah, 50s, 60s, yeah. I mean, like, but she first, like, was Loretta Lynn, like, in the 50s, right? Like, early DECA era, kind of. Yeah yeah, 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 She was 15 at the time this happened. <clears throat> so this is in the 40s, you said, right? Yeah, 1948. Okay. Herman heard a massive explosion unlike anything his family had ever experienced, despite living in a coal camp, camp accustomed to loud blasts. After Stuart Bell, the P-47 flew across the Webb family cemetery, crashed into a hilltop overlooking the Webb family home, and created a 10 to 15 foot deep crater. Over the course of several days, local boys and men began to ransack the crash site. One eyewitness saw Loretta's 22-year-old moonshiner husband, Oliver Lynn, Doolittle Lynn, who was what wasn't he played by uh, Tommy Lee Jones in the movie? <laughs> <clears throat> um, driving his Jeep with Stewart's plane propeller attached to its side. <laughs> That's some hillbilly shit, man. Just like I might could use this pl- plane propeller. Fuck it, I'll just take it. <laughs> all right, yeah, I right. ain't gonna need this. <laughs> ain't gonna miss this. One of Loretta and Herman's uncles converted the P-47 stainless steel nuts into finger rings. <laughs> that is some real bit of shit. Though. Just like, look at my bling, dog. Yeah, just like, like Hillbilly Liberace with these fucking... <laughs> oh, One boy. of Loretta and Herman's nine-year-old neighbor, Callie Daniels, now octogenarian and retired elementary school cook, Callie Daniels Johnson of Hager Hill, saw Stewart's white parachute converging to Earth, mistaking it for a large white eagle. Callie notified her father, Leif Daniels, who hopped on and rode one of his horses into the hills, finding an injured Stewart lying underneath a rock cliff. This is fucking crazy. After a mutually befuddled, though benign, stare down. <laughs> Just look. Hey, we want to be clear. This was a benign stare down. We want to be clear. Yeah, this was not. There was no racial animus or anything like that or it being scared. It's just the order of things. Leif put the injured Stuart on a second horse Leif had brought along, taking Stuart to the Daniels family home where Leif's wife, 
Mary Daniels was washing clothes in a large backyard cauldron. I mean, if you're a racist guy from East Kentucky and like a black man parachutes into your <laughs> community from a, a burning plane, I mean, I guess I could see the uh, the legends that could be spun out from that. Like, right. Mary tore up some bed sheets and disinfected and bandaged Stuart's legs after giving Stuart all purpose moonshine for pain relief. Much to Stuart Stuart chagrin. <laughs> medicinal, strictly medicinal. <laughs> it says much to Stuart Stuart chagrin. He had sworn off liquor for Lent. Leif reloaded Stuart on the horse and took him onto a mud and gravel road. <laughs> Both figuratively and literally. <laughs> <laughs> took him onto a mud and gravel road towards a local store on the main road. From there, Stuart was loaded into a pickup truck and transported to the local Paintsville Clinic in Paintsville, Kentucky birth home of then unborn Brenda Gale Webb, best known as Crystal Gale. <laughs> like, like, all right. Like, I mean, you, you, you have to throw that in there. Like, that's just like, come on. I think they're trying to convey that, like, this guy parachuted into like country music hall of fame, basically. Right, right. The clinic's physician and his team washed Stewart, placed him in a bed and administered morphine for pain relief. Stuart recalled being in a hallucinated state as a result of the morphine and moonshine. <laughs> that, dude, that is fucking... Ima um, again, imagine you're a black man and you parachute into East Kentucky and these like guys, they use your plane for bling. They give you moonshine. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know what I would think. <laughs> also, moonshine, I've had... This is going to sound absolutely stupid. And it's not the case, but I've drank so much moonshine before I feel like I drank myself sober. Not because I was actually sober, but just because like the the effects of it made me feel like I could operate heavy machinery all of a sudden. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you could fly an airplane from Greenville, <laughs> South Carolina to Columbus, Ohio. Right. Um, as news of the P-47 crash circulated. Local people lined up to the clinic to view the injured African-American combat fighter pilot. The town's, oh, <laughs> the town's mayor, Eskom Chandler, visited Stewart, followed by the town's police chief, county sheriff, and a Paintsville Herald news reporter who ran a story on March 25th, 1948. The article omitted Stewart's race. Interesting. Around 1 a.m. on March 26th, a U.S. Air Force representative from Columbus, Ohio, arrived at the Paintsville Clinic to pick up Stewart. Okay, how many days is that? That's March 26th, and his plane crashed on, okay, March 25th. All right. I think they're using some kind of pressure washer downstairs now. Perhaps you can hear that. Still, um, still no from me. <laughs> they departed the small rural clinic or rural community without any fanfare or formal send-off from the community. Stewart's wife... Define did not find out about her husband's mountainous aircraft crash until Stewart arrived home. For many years afterwards, local legend, though patently false, held that U.S. Air Force Republic F-84 Thunder Jets shot down a B-52 bomber stolen by an African-American man conducting a bombing run on the town. <laughs> Wait, so it what? Was even, it was even crazier. They said he was bombing the town. Holy oh shit. And they said that they shot him down? Yeah, the oh, local legend God. was that the U.S. Air Force shot down a B-52 bomber stolen by an African-American man conducting a bombing run on the town. Like the, the the idea that he would be 
strafing like the Tuskegee Airmen were actually a, a terrorist sale. In da- in 2005, Danny Keith Blevins, a Johnson County, Kentucky teacher and president of the Van Leer Historical Society, tracked down Stewart at his home in southern Michigan. Stewart was bemused when Blevins shared the stolen B-52 rural legend. Stewart knew that the B-52s didn't even exist in 1948. <laughs> like the Air Force? Yeah. B-52s? Yeah. No, the song, the the band. He was, he oh, was the, talking about. The band. He was like, yeah. "That's the crazy. Georgia band." Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy, man. Rock Lobster that wouldn't even come out until like much later on. <laughs> in 2006, the Van Leer, Kentucky Township, encompassing Butcher Butcher Hollow, named Stewart its parade marshal for the annual Homecoming Day parade. That's nice. That's pretty sweet. During his Kentucky visit, Stewart met the family of Crystal Gale, Loretta Lynn, and Herman Webb enjoying a, t- a tour of Loretta's birth home. Wow. Damn. Dude, he was a he was a G. He was apparently like a really a, a really good like dog fighter. Well, goddamn, man. Could you imagine dangling off the back of one of those fucking open from that era? Yeah, dude, he is still alive. He's 98. This motherfucker dangled from a plane over Butcher Hollard. <laughs> and he's still alive. He's Are fucking 98. That's insane. I want to have That's... him on the show. Yeah, <laughs> let's hear your, your version of events. Let's hear your version of events. <clears throat> well, that's fucking crazy, man. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. So I guess maybe Loretta Lynn didn't actually meet him face to face. But uh but RIP ripped to a real one. Um God. Loretta Lynn that is. Man. That uh you know when Dolly finally goes, I wonder what it's going to be like. <laughs> Can you Dude, imagine we will like, hear, what kind of we will hear some fantastical fucking stories that that story will be like recapitulated over her town. But like the story will be like he landed. <laughs> he landed in their living room and they gave him tea and they talked about race relations and Dolly acknowledged her white privilege. <laughs> Dolly, <laughs> yeah. Dolly was the first person to acknowledge her white At privilege. At age 16, Dolly acknowledged her white privilege <laughs> after a Tuskegee Airman crash landed in her backyard. <laughs> Everybody's like, wait, didn't that happen to Loretta Lynn? They're like, no, that was Dolly. No, that was Dolly. That was Dolly. And he was gay. He was black and he was gay. And she <laughs> acknowledged her white privilege and that's when she realized she was Standing up for her LGBT. That's when she realized that she was have to go forth and end apartheid too, by any means necessary. <laughs> he believed from, in the- from from Locust Hill, Tennessee to to Johannesburg. Uh huh. That's when she realized. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> What a lot of people don't know is that Dolly Parton was locked up with one <laughs> Nelson Mandela <laughs> for many years. And while they were in there, they conspired to end apartheid together. Oh, shit. Uh, well, last thing I wanted to mention today 
was that uh sort of how i don't know like nothing ever ends you know everything is just a recapitulation of something that already happened but on stupider terms than before and i'm feeling very much that way about the announcement this past week that they are reintroducing the idea for a federal prison in our county of Letcher County. And the reason that it's even stupider than the first time is that, okay, so like this story was in, well, first of all, I just want to say this. First of all, I just want to say this. Um, if you want to read the story, it's uh, there's a story in like the Ohio Valley resource from our friend Katie Myers, who who interviewed some people about it. I think there was also a story on like WFPL from Louisville or whatever, but um, I, I just want to say this. I literally predicted this would happen. I deleted a tweet. <laughs> I deleted the tweet because in one of those like bouts of like political internalized political self-loathing that you sometimes get for being like a commie naysayer just yeah. i mean i literally tweeted like you went through and deleted every negative tweet that you'd made i was trying to exude positive vibes instead of negative vibes because that would prove not enough yes my therapist tells me i'm too negative <laughs> <laughs> not you <laughs> um and I literally said back in 2020 or probably right after Biden was inaugurated in 2021, I would not be surprised if Biden revitalizes the plan for the federal prison in our hometown. Biden and the Dems. And I remember feeling afterward, like, you know, it got like a smattering of phase because no one even knows what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Like, <laughs> Terrence is on the sauce again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember. <laughs> By... <laughs> Mine's going to be bringing back that jail thing. <laughs> uh, okay, Terrence. All okay, right. go to bed. <laughs> All right, man. It's 3.14 a.m. <laughs> uh, but no, I like I, I have the tendency to see my statements through the eyes of my enemies. Sometimes, and then I actually wind up seeing my own pathetic worm-like form. Does that ever happen to you? <laughs> more, more frequently than you'd imagine. Although I probably think you're, you were right to talk to somebody about that, <laughs> <laughs> to seek professional help about yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I so as a result, I deleted it. I was like, whoa. That's ridiculous, but apparently it was not so ridiculous. Always trust your first instinct. <clears throat> Always, without any hesitation or exceptions. Always trust your very first instinct on every single thing. That's my advice. With some caveats, but yeah. <laughs> no caveats. No, no caveats. caveats. <laughs> Always first yeah. instincts. God don't make no mistakes. You are no. how you are. No, exactly. Uh. But I was right. They they really are bringing back the prison. If if you are new to this show, let me just bring you up to speed. They wanted to build a federal prison here under Obama. Trump got into office and 
t- and took it off the books because of pressure from the local Muslim Brotherhood. <laughs> exactly. And now the Dems are back in and in and they want a new prison. Well, what's funny about it's not funny. What it was so like sort of craving about it is they've made all the necessary adjustments to circumvent people's concerns about it. Yeah. So now it's like not a, a super max like it was going to be, right? Because that was one of the deterrents to it. Everybody was like, well, what if MS 13 decides to set up shop here? We'll be, <laughs> we'll be up Shit's Creek. The Muslim Brotherhood and MS 13. Before you know it, black guys will be stealing airplanes again. Like it's the damn 1950s. <laughs> and bombing your town. And bombing your town. And then. <laughs> Imagine a couple of like Salvadorian guys all tatted up, like flying like old school bomber jets and doing bombing campaigns. Uh, so yeah, so there was all that kind of that that kind of stuff. So that that has been assuaged. We're going to knock it down to a medium security prison, which probably means you're going to get who, like white collar crime, finance crimes, yeah. Tennis jail, basically. Tennis jail, yeah. And or uh, people that have like commuted their sentence down to something a little more, like from good for good behavior. Right, right. Like, you know. Yeah, I had a buddy that did time in one of these for check cutting. Yeah, stuff like that. That that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. And- so that's been assuaged, and then I guess the other thing would be they're key in on this time post flood where obviously it's going to be a dire economic situation people trying to put their lives back together so this is the perfect time for the jobs 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 shit it is actually a sinister brilliant play on their part yeah it is really honestly the most cynical thing i could possibly imagine i hope they all die but i have to give props in the chess game thing (laughs) they they had the butt plug in and made the right moves (laughs) They got the signs that said this was the right move. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. <laughs> They're capitalizing on a moment where uh, everything has been demolished, you know, wiped out, reduced to the bare minimum. Uh, businesses leave more businesses leaving than before. Even the biggest stable industries around here, healthcare and service. Uh, are disrupted, having some problems, yeah, having some problems, and so it it seems like a good solution to an unstable situation, and um, and I think it's going to get more support than it did last time. The thing is, <clears throat> is that in the back of my mind, I still kind of think that the local boosters for it are being taken for a ride. And and in that sense, it feels like the biggest slap in the face because it just doesn't make any sense to me. Even if I supported prisons and I've said this for years and years, even if I supported prison construction, thought it was a good idea, thought that you should lock up as many black men stealing airplanes and running strafing runs on uh, Ohio farm ta- farm towns as possible. Even if I supported that, it would make no sense to build a prison here. And Prior to two months ago, the reasons for that were abstract. 
But now a flood just came and proved why. Because the fucking civic infrastructure around here is so goddamn shoddy and and uh, decrepit that it, it it it's it's just a ticking time bomb. Like, why would you put a high tech, you know, state of the art modern facility in an area that has been so broken down by resource extraction that just the even 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 a flood half as bad as the one we just had would cut that facility off from the outside world for a good 48 hours at the minimum. So it doesn't make any sense. And then and then what do you get? I mean, I guess it's a medium security prison. But like at that point, you're risking like Alcatraz type uh, like uprising Attica type uprisings and shit. Like it doesn't make any sense. And that's why it always kind of felt like a slap in the face. It well, honestly, what it was is it was Hal Rogers swinging his dick around as the most powerful man in Washington and being able to make it happen in situations where it never made any sense, like Martin County. And he does. He's not as powerful as he used to be, but he still has some power. Uh, and that's why this is still kicking around. But it's the biggest slap in the face because once again, just like as we pointed out six years ago when this all started, You've got four hundred million dollars coming in in this area that has uh, obviously the highest unemployment rate in the nation, that has no economic base, that has deteriorating infrastructure. I mean, why can't that money be put to something else that could actually help the community? Well, now now we're post flood and an even worse state than we were five or six years ago that's what i'm saying that's why it makes no sense and this and this goes for for everything from even like good economic development ideas you can't really have anything until you actually have a baseline of adequate infrastructure here yeah so like what makes you think that you're going to yeah like you were just saying like you're going to build this huge massive facility that's going to host a bunch of like uh recycled layman brothers guys uh you know and <laughs> local officials and like you, you like the water's not even water wasn't even safe to drink before you think it's like it got better because of the flood you think the flood was flushed all the selenium and <laughs> well it used to that diesel used to, out <laughs> right that used to work in their favor like the the poor state of rural resources I feel like that used to work in their favor because you could just jam it through and say, we're going to upgrade all of your infrastructure when we put this prison in. But I'm not sure the political base exists for that anymore or the political imperatives for them. The the form of incarceration has changed a lot. You know, with more of it being put on local municipalities rather than state and federal federal ones and so i i don't i don't know it's just changed a lot in the last 20 or 30 years and so like trying to run the same playbook that they did like if yeah just go back and listen to our episode with real wilson gilmore if you want to know what i'm talking about trying to run that same playbook the reason we had her on is because what they're experiencing in california right now is they're closing a lot of prisons they're trying to close prisons uh and it's just a testament to how things have, have moved, how much things have moved and changed over the last 20 or 30 years that again, it just kind of feels like 
a, a slap in the face. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I just can't see it happening. But I've been wrong in the past. Five, six years ago, I was literally convinced that they were actually going to build the thing. And then we found out that they weren't. I was wrong about that. Then I was wrong to think that they would never try to revive it. And so who knows? I will probably be wrong again. Well, in any case, it's like a, such a brazen move. Anyway, at a time like this, it's like you got people. And you know, I had a, friend, a reporter friend reach out to me. It's like, are FEMA fucking people over down there? And it's like at a time when people can't even get FEMA funds to like, you know, redo their houses or whatever after something like that. What the agency's designed for. It's like, oh, here, we can't uh, give you a pittance, a little pittance of money to start putting your life back together. What we can do is build you a prison. Right. It just doesn't make any goddamn sense on any level. Well, um, part of the. Part of this process, they're about to do an environmental impact survey. I don't know if they're going to try to use the same place that they had identified last time, if they're going to try to use a new place. But that means that they will be soliciting comments from the public. And so all I need, I'm rallying the troops. All we need are 12, all we need are uh, two to three dozen strong Trillbilly warriors who are ready to send their stupidest comment imaginable to the Bureau of Prisons. <laughs> oh, damn, I didn't think about that, yeah. And flood their fucking shit to just jam this thing up as long as possible. Yeah, we've never given y'all homework unless it's to give us money <laughs> and get us more listeners and subscribers. But this is no strings attached homework. No strings attached When homework. the comment period opens for this, I want you all to submit your most ridiculous letters possible. <laughs> And just overwhelm that system. <laughs> Even if you're a casual listener here, your first time, that's mm -hmm. your homework. Yeah, it's homework, and you can have fun with it. They have to respond to it. By federal law, they have to respond. <laughs> so last time we went through this. Bonus game, points, like if you're concerned about the lack of intersectionality. <laughs> I mean, get as ridiculous as you want with it. Exactly. Like last time we went through this, you know, song and dance, we didn't have a show or a platform like this. Um, now they've made a powerful enemy. Now <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean when I say it's all been recapitulated on stupider terms than before. <laughs> yeah. Isaac Gaston, hey, <laughs> before you were messing with a couple of scrubs, pal, we've come up in the world. Oh, shit. Well, look out for that uh, link, email, whatever. We'll know more in the next couple of months. Uh, I will help you get your comment in if you feel so convicted. And I hope that you do. I, I hope really... that you do because we need to make this like a like an essay contest almost where there's a prize for the most a, ridiculous. A trivially essay contest for the most ridiculous. <laughs> it's uh, in the comment section of the Bureau of Prisons uh, comment period for this. Yeah, the most ridiculous. We'll have a panel, and the most absolutely most ridiculous, preposterous letter will win some prize that we'll have to come up with later. Uh huh. But you will have parameters because there will have to be talking points that you're going to have to nail. But that's part of the cre creative part. It's kind of like sampling like a hip hop beat. You're going to have to incorporate some talking points that I give you and make something truly original and unique out of that.
Right. That would be <laughs> the true Your own masterpiece. Your own you know what's kind of funny is I imagine if they just build these in like, you know, some town somewhere, they're like, you know, and they think that we're probably in that same line, like Whitesburg, Kentucky, this would be a breeze. Then all of a sudden they get a blue gajillion comments about the most <laughs> ridiculous things out of nowhere. Yeah, we're going to see how it goes. I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to see how it goes. Ah. <sighs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps up the show for today. Any final thoughts, Mr. Sexton? Um, I guess I guess I'll just rehash, um, you know, the old maxim of sports cheating. You know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I think that's and a takeaway for today. Yeah. And I want to requote the. The late great legend Loretta Lynn, uh, yeah, Loretta Lynn, that you need to gra- grab your knife and remove all those weights if you want to go to fish sitting. So, yeah, that's she, you know, she, she had a final comment on the greatest scandal of our time, the, the greatest fishing scandal in the hardest sport, in the hardest professional sport, the most difficult professional sport, fishing. She had a comment on it, and that's how brilliant. Her words echo through eternity. It will. <laughs> so, for that reason. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Please go to the Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trillbilly Workers Party, and support us over there. We've got an episode every Sunday, and... uh I feel like we really got into the fishing scandal on Sunday's this past Sunday's episode. So please go check that out. Um, $5 is not a big ask, I feel like. Um, so anyways, go check that out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you over at the Patreon. See you next time, friends. Adios. Uh, you've been uh, making your brags around town that you've been uh, loving my man. But the man up trash he puts it in a garbage can and that's what you look like to me and what i see is a pity you better close your face and stay out of my way if you don't want to go to this city